all of us are human beings in this world and we have the opportunity to engage with others, to share our story with others. And every, I think everybody deserves that, that right and that freedom of expression. What is important to me is that the ideas that I'm sharing and the way that I'm communicating are not trying to say there is only one way to do things or my story should be controlling you know, to other people's. And sadly, that's what I Stating Goodbye was about. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Can you imagine being defined by something you said or something you thought or something you wrote over 20 years ago? The thought is terrifying to me. I imagine it is to you too. And today's guest on the show is the perfect person to talk about this phenomenon. Today's guest is Joshua Harris. If you aren't familiar with Josh, Josh is the author of a book that came out over 20 years ago in 1997 called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. If you missed this phenomenon, if you weren't part of evangelical circles at the time, then all you need to really know is this is the book that is often attributed as the book that sort of kicked off the purity movement or purity culture. And again, it's the perfect example of this phenomenon that someone might be continually defined by something they said or thought many, many, many years ago, the fact that I even introduced Josh as the author of this book that came out in 1997. The reason I wanted you to hear this conversation with Josh is because I do think this is a complicated conversation, but a couple of different things I want you to pay attention to. Number one is that as authors, as influencers, as thought leaders, whatever you want to term that, as people who are writing down our ideas and putting those ideas out in the world and hopefully sharing them with one or more people who we hope you know, we hope those words have a positive impact on those people. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't have as positive of an impact as we'd hoped. That there is a responsibility and an accountability that comes along with putting yourself in that position and making that choice. And on the flip side of this, I also also want you to hear and to pay attention to the fact that people who are choosing to put their ideas out there in the world are also just human beings and they're also just people who have every right and every permission to change and to evolve and to change their minds. So at the end of the day, my question for us is, what does this mean for us as people who share our stories and share our ideas with the world? How do we approach this mission, this objective, from a position of entering into a broader conversation rather than having all of the answers it's not all about avoiding a negative outcome because we can't always, we don't have crystal balls. We can't see into the future and we can't always avoid those negative outcomes. But I thought Josh was the, per- the perfect person to talk about what it means to be a contributing voice to this greater sea of voices. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Josh as much as I did. Hi, Josh Harris. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Allie, I'm so excited to get to talk with you. This is a lot of fun. 
I know there's so much we can talk about, but I think the best place to start is to start by just giving people a little bit of context for you as an author, a writer, an influencer, a person, because I think probably most of us know you as the Josh who wrote the book, I guess dating goodbye, but you have evolved and changed a lot since then too. So can you give us like a little context and then a little flyover to like the Josh back then versus the Josh now? Sure. I mean, the short version is it's, it almost sounds like a cliche that this super zealous religious young person who thought he had all the answers to life and became a pastor before he'd experienced much of life uh, ended up hitting midlife, uh, melting down, rethinking everything, having the kind of classic midlife crisis kind of moment. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes I tell my story, I'm just like, oh goodness, I just, I sound so predictable. But, you know, my my story is amplified, not because it's any more special than anybody else's, but but basically because the ideas that I had when I was a 21-year-old and thought I knew everything were put into a book which spread around the world and kind yeah. of, you know, impacted a, a generation of evangelical Christians in a very significant way. So yeah, the the story is getting into ministry at a very young age. Uh, writing a book at a relatively young age, having that become a bestseller, becoming a pastor very quickly after that of a mega church outside of Washington, D.C., and basically achieving all these so-called measurements of success in that particular world, mm-hmm. and and then kind of domino by domino, those things falling over and losing a sense of identity in, you know, being a pastor, being an author of a best-selling book, having a, you know, a marriage that was strong, all these things that I found security and identity in fell apart. And that process was painful and it was hard, but it ended up really being the the doorway to a lot of growth and change. And I, I would say a more authentic life for, for me. So yeah, that's kind of my, (laughs) that's my flyover story. It's great. That's a great flyover. And, you know, I mean, I guess you could say it's cliche, but I also think another word I would use for it is just very relatable. Mm. (laughs) You know, those of us who are listening, I know a lot of people who listen to this show are in some kind of process of deconstructing their faith or questioning or the loss of something for the first time, whether that's a faith community or Mm. a relationship or dream that they were chasing. And and I think I personally can relate when I went through, I was married to a pastor and went through a divorce and that kind of thrust me into the the same kind of process you're talking about where all the ways that I used to define myself, I couldn't define myself anymore. And it's, it's a dark night of the soul. It's very confusing and disorienting. And also you know, now when people say to me, like, what has this done to your faith? I'm like, you have no idea. I didn't have a faith before. (laughs) And this is, Mm. this is faith, you know, it's living in this kind of, you said something similar to that too, in a USA Today article I read by you, something about how you're in a new season of life where you try not to, you don't try as hard to convince people of things, I think Mm. is how you said it. I can't remember exactly how you said it. I have to look up the quote, but, but I really identify with that and resonate with it a lot. Which is such a different way of of writing and communicating. You know, the the world that I came from in the past, 
you know, your authority was really something that flowed out of your confidence in a very set, rigid <laughs> yeah. list of rules and doctrines. And the more zealous you were about it, the more respect you were given. Yes. And, you know, it was a sign of being strong. It was a sign of being committed. And so you were you were pushing people to to sign on, to agree, to to lay down their life, you know, all those kinds of things. And it sells books, you know, it can create movements, but it's also it's also exhausting, I think, sure. for the for the human soul. And I think ultimately it's it's damaging to the people who you're trying to I'll say convince, but maybe control. Yeah, and, yeah. And then, so I'm just grateful to be out of that that mindset. So did you did you have any idea when you sat down to write this book at you were 19, right? Yes. Did you have any clue that this book was going to sell? It sold over a million copies. Yeah. Did you did you have any sense that this book was going to do what it ultimately did? No, I really didn't. I mean, I think every author when they write a book, probably especially their first book, has this dream that it's going to be a bestseller. Sure. But I didn't really know what that would look like or feel like or how that would unfold. And uh, it's not something I've ever experienced again. I wrote other books after that. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's just a moment that you can't duplicate or completely explain. There's sort of forces that are are outside of your control that are taking place culturally to have a bestseller. And that's exactly what I experienced with with I Kiss Dating Goodbye. So it was a it was a shock and it was an incredible experience. And, you know, as a as a young guy, I was just kind of like, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. And yeah. I would say, and I would say I also had this sense of like this confirms that I'm, you know, doing God's work and this is God's message. So success can sure. be something we chase. And then other times it can, you know, confirm things that are not actually <laughs> true. And it's a it's a strange thing. So you're starting to answer my question already, but my next question for you really was how did it feel for you to be in that in the moment when the book is taking off? Mm -hmm. And I think I can't remember how old I was when I guess dating goodbye came out, but not too much older than you. Uh, or mm -hmm. maybe we're very similar ages. I was in college, I think, when my parents bought me the book. They were like, we think okay. you should read this. Um, <laughs> Every college student's dream. Yeah, right. But regardless, I'm curious what it was like for you as this book is taking off. Were you were you kind of caught up in the the glitz and the glamour of it? What Did it feel overwhelming to you? What was going on in your head? It was so exciting in that the reason that that any of us write is that we want to help other people. We want to connect with other people. We want our ideas to be a part of the human conversation. And we mm. want our experiences and our, our convictions to, to matter and to, to make a positive impact. And so it was incredibly exciting to see people reading the book, responding to the book, sharing the book. And so I was getting, I started getting letters from people who you know, I had no connection to, it wasn't like a friend or a relative or, you know, some, yeah. some person in my community, it, the, the circle began to broaden people from other religions were reading the book, people who weren't even in the Christian community were reading the book, it was being talked about in articles and newspapers and things like that. And so there was um, just a, a sense of this is, this is what I've always dreamed of. This is what I've always wanted. And then I think it transitioned to this phase where it was just, it was overwhelming. It's almost like the the human mind can only 
grasp or comprehend so much input. And when you, when you start getting into like the hundreds of thousands of people who are reading and, you know, passing ideas on to other people, there's just not a way to really quantify that. And so, I, I mean, I kind of think about it in terms of Amazon reviews, you know, when, yeah. when you start just having like feedback after feedback after feedback and they're, you know, so many of them are positive, but then there are also negative ones. It's like, you can only process so much and you kind of just shut down. Not, a, not that you don't care anymore, but it's just, you can't respond to every story. You can't interact with every person. So that kind of reach with a book is, it's thrilling. I think it's what we all want, but it also comes with its, its downsides, I would say. And, yeah. and especially if, you know, you later realize that, that some of your ideas can have a really negative impact when they're implemented. Yeah. It's so interesting. Our a mutual friend of ours, Don Miller, has said something like this to me before, where, you know, the human the human being can only process so much information at once. And so when mm. you when you put your writing out there, in a way, as writers, we're we're trying to, like you talked about, enter the human conversation, have our ideas be seen, have our story be seen and understood. Right. And there's a threshold to which you can receive that. And then beyond that threshold, it's almost like lost on you. So right. You know, we right. always kind of wish for more book sales, but the question he posed to me was like, how many book sales do you really need before it, before the more doesn't matter? You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's true. Uh, I think it's a really interesting question to ask yourself. It's also interesting to ask the question, what's your actual goal with, with writing? Yes. Sales is just one way to, to measure the, the value of book. I mean, I, we shouldn't even say that that's a way to measure it at all because you can have, you could have a a masterpiece that, that nobody, nobody buys. Yeah. But I, you know, one of the things that I talk about with the people that I coach, I do this, this coaching course called clarify, you know, message clarity coaching. And essentially I'm helping them think through how their experiences and life story translates into the, the, the message they want to share, whether it's writing or it's a podcast or it's a speech or just they want to be a thought leader and that type of thing. And one of the things I say is that social media, for example, can really, I think, misdirect people because they think it's only meaningful if I can attract millions of followers, yes. if I can have millions of people see it. And the same is true with book writing. Like yeah. the book is only worthwhile or effective if it's on the New York Times bestsellers list and so on. But the truth is, is that you could have a very small number of people read your book, and if they become convinced by it or helped by it, they can be a part of of creating a, a movement or or creating some really significant, important change in the world that yeah. you might not be able to just immediately measure by book sales and you know social media followers and so on. So I think it's it's really yeah. important for authors to step back and say. What's the actual goal of me sharing this idea with the world? Is it just getting people to buy it or is there something else? And sometimes lots of people reading something doesn't actually translate into action and change and real influence in the world. Sure. Or, and you know, I mean, I think you're the perfect person to talk about this, but even if in your case, book sales is translating to like a change in the way people are operating in the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's improving their quality of life. That's true. Which kind of leads me into the next segment of this conversation. I'm curious when it started to register for you that people Mm. were, you know, sort of starting to reject the idea of this book or 
uh, or beginning to realize that they had had a negative experience with it? Was this like five mm-hmm. years after the book came out? Was it more recent than that? What was And what was that like for you when you first started to hear this feedback? Yeah. Well, no, it took a long time for me. I wrote other books. I wrote a follow-up book called Boy Meets Girl, which tried to address some of the maybe you'd say misunderstandings, or it's just kind of a working out of, well, here's actually what it actually looks like to get into a relationship and get married. But it was essentially a carryover of a lot of those those same values and ideas. But it took a long time for me to actually listen to the criticism because I was surrounded by a community that affirmed those ideas. Yeah, And even as I began to try to nuance and speak to some of those things in my church, I faced... I faced kind of pushback from other leaders. Uh, I remember going on a youth retreat and, you know, basically saying, listen, dating isn't, isn't the, this really the, the core issue here, that kind of thing. And, and having some other leaders really take me to task because they didn't want their, you know, their teenagers hearing that they wanted me to kind of hold the line when it came to the book. And so I look back on that and I'm, you know, I'm ashamed that I didn't, um, push harder. I'm ashamed that I didn't engage with that sooner. I think, I think there just was a lot of closed mindedness for me. There are certain, there are certain aspects of rethinking things that you believe or parts of who you are that is so momentous. In other words, it's like, if you open that door to question it, you know that there's something on the other side that could change everything. Yes, And, and so you, you almost like subconsciously just stay away from it. You know, you just, I know I can't do that. I don't want to go there. (laughs) And so it really wasn't until there was major disruption in our church. People started to share, not, not just about my book, but about the entire culture of our church and our church movement. Those people began to find themselves, find each other on the internet they begin to share stories. They begin to see patterns in the really toxic yeah. leadership of our church movement, the controlling nature of that, the the shaming, the you know all the different things that were happening there. And so, I started to, along with other pastors, sit down with members of our church and really try to hear those stories. Like, what's really happening in our church culture? What what is our church culture creating? And that's where I began to see, oh my goodness, you know, we talk about grace and we talk about God's love and we talk about the power of the gospel and so on, but our culture is actually one of fear, intimidation, legalism. You have to do things this way. There's a checklist of things. And if you don't do those things, you're not going to be respected, promoted, and, and valued. And that's when I started going, wait a second my book, is my book a part of that? (laughs) And, and that, you know, that was sort of the beginning. It it really took the church falling apart, massive disruption, eventually me being so burnt out that I stepped away from the role as pastor and, and went to uh, a theological graduate school, a seminary, Mm -hmm. just to kind of get a, a fresh start and reset things. And it was only then when I was no longer having to represent these ideas, be the leader, have all the answers, and just be a student and learn that I really started engaging with the question of, okay, what's been the real impact of my book? I started listening. And there were many people who'd been having this conversation and critiquing my book, and they had so much insight. But it took me a long time to really engage that and let go of all those defenses. Yeah. Man, I mean, the way 
you explained that is so, first of all, it's very parallel to my experience of a similar kind of deconstruction journey, which takes a long time when you've grown up in this environment where there's only really one right way to see things Mm. and think about things. But you said something, you used the word burnout, and I hear that word used a lot in the church, especially church leaders or leaders who are coming out of church leadership. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, I've never heard it this way before, but I'm curious if that burnout has something to do with the defenses that you have to have up mm-hmm. in order to sort of continue, I don't know, I, this is maybe overstating it, but like continue with the charade. Like you have to yeah. keep convincing people that you're 100% positive that this mm-hmm. is the way things ought to be when the fact of the matter is, and I don't know if you would agree with me, but deep in your human spirit, you know that, mm-hmm. that it, there isn't just one way that it has to be. I wonder if that is part of what contributes to that, that feeling of burnout. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I'm thinking of this song, I think it's the Killers talking about, I tried going against my own soul's warning. And it's this idea of if you are constantly pushing against and pressing against the the true longings of your soul, who you really are, what you really believe, you can keep that up for a long time, especially mm-hmm. if there's a community around you, there's a job on the line, there's finances on the line and so on. But inside your soul will be dying, yeah. you know, withering or just wanting to break out. And and so I I think that, I mean, I'm not even wanting to pick on religion at this point. I mean, I, we can be in jobs that are like that. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, why well, need to keep this job? But really, it doesn't use your gifts. It's not who you are. You're having to be something that you're really not. I mean, you know, that can happen in any career, but it's it's even more intense when you're talking about religion, when you're talking about spirituality, yeah. when there's this whole sense of, you know, being right before God, heaven and hell is on the line, those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think about my, you know, my queer friends who are in the LGBTQ community, like they have experienced this in a, in a such a much more intense and profound way of having to kind of like hide and deny a, a huge aspect of who they are. And I, I think there were ways in which uh, that was happening for me in the church setting that I was in. And that was not just because of Christianity, it was also because of the particular brand of Christianity that I was a part yeah. of, the way that they approach things. I think I was... I was a much more creative kind of entrepreneurial type of person. And I had had because of the opportunity, which again, success and opportunity can mislead you. I had tried to fit myself into the boxes that they had created, which was very doctrinaire, which was very toe the line hmm. and so on. And and over time, I think that's probably the biggest thing that that burned me out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, so much of what you're saying is resonating. And I want to talk to you more about, you know, how you move forward as kind of like a thought leader for lack of a better term to call that after an experience like you've had. But before we move on to that, I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I didn't ask you to give just a word to people who are listening, who are in some kind of process of deconstruction. I know we have a lot of listeners who are in that place, like, you know, and it's a, it's a wide there's a wide map there. So mm-hmm. <laughs> all over the map, but do you have a word of encouragement or, uh, you know, not, not advice, but just something mm-hmm. you could say to people who are listening, who are, who are kind of in that dark night of the soul and wondering what's next? Yeah. I think the, the encouragement that I would give that other people gave me along the way 
is that this is a very human experience that mm-hmm. you are going through. And we we often, you know, celebrate in our world personal growth, but I think what we don't talk about is that growth involves change and change mm-hmm. is just hard. It is. <laughs> it involves, you know, letting go of old ideas, admitting you're wrong, all these kinds of things. And I just would encourage anyone that's that's going through massive change to see that that's a part of of being alive. It's a part of growing. It it means that you're you're taking steps forward, and um, it can be it can be painful. But you're you're certainly not alone. You're certainly not the first person to walk through this. And I think there's really just tremendous promise from becoming more flexible in your thinking, experiencing new ways of viewing the world. And and you just don't have to feel any pressure to end up at a certain place or stop believing or, you know, anything. There's, there's no one way for this to, to look. And so just uh, give yourself a lot of, to, to use a Christian phrase, give yourself a lot of grace. Yeah. 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 I love that. And there's no timeline either. I think, you know, it, it can feel pressing, especially if you're someone who's in the spotlight in the public light like you were. Mm. And I know, because I've read some of what you've written about it, I know that there's a lot of shame and guilt that comes up because you wrote this book and right. people have been really damaged by the words that you wrote. And and yet, each of us is a human person. I think for me, the takeaway is we're each a human person. We're each on our own journey. Be mm-hmm. careful not to elevate any one person so mm-hmm. much that you take their word at gospel as gospel. The book can be great, uh, full of great ideas and you don't have to elevate this person to a godlike status simply because they had a good idea. Uh, we have to take accountability and responsibility for the way that we choose to implement those ideas in our lives. For those of us who are going through a deconstruction journey or any kind of faith journey, that we have to remember that the journey is our own and we can take it at our own pace and in our own time. And I think you've been such an incredible example of that. And another way that I think you've been a good example of this is you really have navigated this path from kind of one island <laughs> to this new, I don't know how to describe it, but from one place to another place with such mm-hmm. humility and grace. And when I read your words, they, they're they full of such humility. They're, there's a lot of space and understanding for the way that your words did have an impact on the people mm-hmm. who they had an impact on. And I can feel the energy of grace toward even yourself Hmm. as you navigate this new path forward. I'm curious in that what it has been like for you, because, you know, you still have people who are paying attention to you. I think you are a thought leader, again, for lack of a better term to use there for people who are walking through a deconstruction journey. And you have a lot of really valuable things to say, but it has to feel, I would imagine, kind of like, how do I do this moving forward in a way that doesn't repeat the mistakes of my past or something like that? Tell me what that's been like for you. Yeah, that's a good description of it. I think I feel a constant tension between, you know, because you were wrong about ideas in the past, you know, just basically be quiet, go away, you know, and I have people, I have people who give me that kind of feedback very angrily, you know, why don't you just disappear? You should go live in a monastery and just not let your voice be heard at all. You know, I had somebody on TikTok the other day just saying, I want you off the internet, that kind of thing. And, 
And I think the reason that that stings is because it's a, it's a real question that I can have at times. You know, I can think maybe, maybe that is best. Maybe, maybe I should just disappear and so on. And I, it's, it's a, it's an ongoing tension that I think, I think it's healthy for me to, to feel, to say, what does it look like for me to be honest about who I am? The fact that I love connecting with people, sharing ideas, engaging with others, trying to help others in a very public way. It's, it's a huge part of my story. And I think there's been a part of me that's had to sort of say, you know what, this is what I love and this is what makes me feel alive. And this is kind of why I think I'm on this planet. And I'm not going to essentially just kind of give up on life and, and who I am. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know, I don't know where that's healthy and unhealthy. I've just, this is kind of just like the, the kind of thought process I go through. And I mean, I'm grateful that there are people who are saying to me, this is how this is helping me. Please, please keep, you know, sharing what you're learning along the mm-hmm. way and so on. And I, I don't think that that necessarily justifies things. Cause I mean, I think all of us can find people who are supporting us and people who are detractors who are, you know, being critical of what we're doing. So I, I think it's a, it's an ongoing journey for me. And I think the the key for me is to say, it's not, okay, I was wrong in the past and now I'm a hundred percent sure that I'm right about this. So that's what, yeah. that's what allows me to, to, you know, let my voice be heard and so on. It's saying, you know what, all of us are human beings in this world. And we have the opportunity to engage with others, to share our story with others. And every, I think everybody deserves that, that right. And that freedom of expression. What is important to me is that the ideas that I'm sharing and the way that I'm communicating are not trying to say, there is only one way to do things or my story should be controlling, you know, to other people's. And sadly, that's what I stating goodbye was about. That book would have been completely different if, you know, in every chapter I was saying, this is one way to think about it, but you can also think about it in this way. You know, you can also think, you know, premarital sex can be a healthy way to, you know, connect with someone or, you know, I mean, obviously I never would have done that in in my past Christian world. But the point is just that, I don't want to be a part of building a world where we where we say in any direction, okay, this idea cannot, you know, you can't, for example, if someone has the conviction that they want to save sex for marriage or they want to, you know, dress in a particular way that they consider modest or whatever, I think they should have the freedom to believe that, have that conviction, live that out. Where I think things become unhelpful in all directions is where we start saying, this is the only way we can do this. You have to agree with me. Or we use our rhetoric and our skill in how we communicate to to try to convince people that there's only one way to do it. That I think yeah. is is damaging, whether it's coming from religion or it's coming from some sector of society. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I found this quote that I was referencing earlier. It's at the end of a USA Today article from 2018. And you say, admitting I was wrong about the biggest accomplishment of my life has given me a greater willingness to admit that I don't have all the answers. Mm. As hard as it's been, this road has given me the space to listen, to enjoy, and to love others in a new way, which I just thought was beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful reflection of a new way to engage in Mm -hmm. this idea of even an influencer or a thought leader. It's one thing if you engage with that role in the world as 
I know best. I'm going to show everyone. I'm going to control people to do things the way I think they ought to be done. And it's another Mm -hmm. thing. And we all know people like this, leaders out there like this, who engage in that position of leadership in a much more human kind of way. It's not like Mm -hmm. me standing on a stage telling you how you ought to live your life, but, you know, almost flipped on its head, me standing on a stage telling you the most vulnerable story of my life so that you know you're not alone. Mm. And I think you do a really beautiful job of that. It's I have been inspired by you because it's incredibly vulnerable to share your faith deconstruction journey publicly when I know the kind of feedback people get because I used to dish it out. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, it's I have tread gently there and given myself lots of permission to keep it private because I do think it's it's a sacred thing and mm-hmm. there's a, a period of time in which it almost needs to be private. But I have been really inspired watching you share your journey and share your own your own process really publicly. I think it takes a ton of courage and a ton of vulnerability to do that. Well, I really appreciate that, Ali. I I think everybody has such a different set of circumstances the family that they have, the place that they live. You know, it's been easier for me to be public about this process living in Vancouver, Canada, than it would be living in the Bible Belt of the US, you know? And I just think it's so important that people just give themselves that permission to say, work with the the story and the place and the moment that you're in. There's, There's no one way to do it. There's no like, here's the courageous way. And then here's the, you know, the timid way or anything like that. It's just be, yeah. be true to who you are and know what you need and keep yourself safe. And, you know, that's our, our story is, is powerful, but it first and foremost, it belongs to us and we can share yeah. or not share what we want. That's beautiful. Do you have plans in the future to write any new books? I, I would love to, to write about this process for me. I'm actually doing a a course that I'm wanting to to really give away to people. It will be a coaching course called Reframe Your Story. Mm-hmm. And I think that that will probably be more about me learning from others. I just I just want to gather people together and kind of share some of the key stories and the key moments in my own journey and then hear from them and learn from them. And I would love to try to capture some of that in a book one day. So we'll see how that goes. I love that. Well, we do, I mean, the majority of our listeners are aspiring writers in some right. Some of them are writing for personal growth and some of them are writing with more like uh, public or publishing aspirations. Right. I'm curious if given your your wide range of experience, if you have any advice to give to people out there who are hoping one day to publish their words. Yeah, I would just say, learn from Ali Fallon as much as you can. <laughs> uh, I did not ask you to say that. <laughs> no, you did not. No, I, I would, I would just say, uh, find some way to be consistently writing, whatever that looks like for you. I personally find a lot of encouragement and momentum from having some platform to be testing out ideas, to be sharing content along the way. And so, you know, some people are at a place where they're ready to create a book proposal and, you know, go after a publisher or self-publish and and so on. But sometimes it's, it's really healthy and powerful to 
whether you're using a blog or you're using Instagram or, you know, whatever platform you can do this on Twitter, be engaging with other people, testing out the ideas, seeing how it impacts other people, getting feedback, getting critique and building that momentum into a book. So I, I just think that that principle of, of trying to write consistently, having some way to connect with others so that your your work is not completely isolated from from other people's human experiences. I, I would just yeah. I would just say keep keep at it. <laughs> keep at it. Yeah, yeah. That's great advice. Okay. This last question is the question I ask to every guest that we have on this show. And and I used to ask it at the beginning of the show and now I've moved it to the end because I think mm. hearing the context of your story will help listeners understand your answer. But I'm curious what the phrase find your voice means for you. Find your voice for me is this recognition that there is a inner integrity or authenticity who you you really are that we can lose not because we ever like misplace it necessarily but because it gets it gets covered up in other people's expectations hmm. and other people's desires for us the pressures of family the pressures of religion the pressures of jobs and so on and i think finding your voice is really about peeling off all those layers and all those expectations i almost i mean i almost picture someone that's just like covered in these clothes, you know, that don't fit and that are bogging you down and, and yeah. finding your voice is being able to get back to who you really are and say, this is what I, this is what I really want. This is what I, what I see of the, the world. This is, you know, this is the, the take that I have on things. This is my honest yeah. story. And, um, and that is such a powerful thing because I think, when I think about the people who have had the biggest influence on me, who I find the most inspiration from, it's not necessarily about their success or what they've accomplished or how much money they have or any of those t types of things. There's an auth authenticity that rings yes. out from them that where you say, you know what, they're, they're being true to who they really are. And it's mm. completely unique and it's completely beautiful. Even if I disagree with certain things that they say or do, that authenticity is so powerful. And I, I think that's what it means to to find your voice and and then share it with others. Yeah. It's a beautiful description. And you're such a great example of that for so many people I know. So thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for spending this 30, 40 minutes with us. And thank you for sharing your just your heart and your story and your own authenticity with us, your voice. We really are thankful. Thank you, Josh. That means a lot, Allie. And I, I tell so many people about your work and I'm so grateful that that you're coming alongside people and, and helping them in that process of finding their voice. So please, please don't stop. Please don't oh, don't grow you. weary in the in the good work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.